space-time, the ever-expanding frontier. These are the records of the most needlessly complicated rewatch of the Star Trek franchise ever. Its mission, to locate every second and contemplate every eon, from outside time to the Big Bang, all the way to the end of all existence. To do what no sane entity has ever done before. This is the Temporal Trek Podcast. Welcome back to the Temporal Trek Podcast. Uh, we are here in Season 1, Part 2, Episode 10. This is, in fact, the last episode for this season, as we are going to be leaving the 20th century after this. Uh, and as a result, we are in this episode from Voyager. Now, futures end we have to end on a big note so i've got a good friend of mine um i'm gonna just pull him up on my dial pad and see if he's there hello john are you there on the other end yeah i'm here thanks daniel much pleasure to be here excellent um just for our uh, listeners um if you want to introduce yourself john and uh, uh so that they get to know you yeah well um obviously my name's john uh, I met Daniel through the wife, who works at the same place as Daniel, down at the Stoic Doctor of Chatham. And I started volunteering down there uh, this year. Yes. And yeah. it's, it's always good to have you there. Um, I, the, I don't know how the volunteers get through it, because obviously you're like the first port of call, so you get like the waft of people coming through and everything like that. <laughs> you know, we have to deal with the stuff afterwards once they get to the gallery, but you have to start them off on their journey. So, yeah, it's, I don't know how you guys get through it every single time. Um, but, you, of course, you're a Trekkie, as every great person is. And um, uh, before we sort of get into the episode, what was your big introduction to Trek? How did you get into Trek in the first place? Oh, it had to be, again, probably, I mean, I don't know what age I was, definitely youngster, um, catching up on, again, it was, would have been reruns of the classics, the original series. Um, loved it, uh, loved sci-fi, um, but the, yeah, the original series, is, there's something about it. Nostalgia, I don't know, but there's just something about it. Um, and I love, yeah, I love Star Trek, yep. I'm not being a big fan. I'm not, I want to say I'm a big fan of like Deep Space Nine. I watched it, I liked it, but it didn't have the, the fun factor for me like Next Generation and Voyager. Um, but other than that, yeah, I mean, last I really really enjoyed Discovery. I must admit that's blowing me away. Those it really is. Yeah, no, I, I'm yeah. I, I'm with you on that one. It, it's fun, it's energetic, and you've got all those kind yeah. of you know nice tricky moments where they're having a big you know. Yes. Uh, shall yeah. we do this? Shall we not do this kind of conversation? Yeah. Uh, and then you've got the high drama, you know, you've got the character stuff as well. So, no, I, I completely, we're on the same page for that. Yeah. Second yeah. season was better than the first as well. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and it's so good. Yeah. In fact, we got um, a new uh, TV show coming from it. We've got the Pike series coming up. Uh, any any yes. thoughts on that? I really enjoyed the, the, uh, the Pike character. Um, it's just a sh I'm just wondering how they could do it because we know what happens to Pike unless they're going to do an alternate timeline or change it somehow. Um, how long can this? How long can that season? You know, how long? How many shows can they do before the accident happens? <laughs> mm. And of course, the captain knows it's going to happen. That's the other thing is that you know he yeah, he's... yeah yeah he found that out and yeah he has yeah. sort of vision or premonition of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting. But I think uh, I can't remember the guy's name. But I thought he played the character really well. 
Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, Anson Mount. I just pulled that off the top of my head there. Uh, fantastic yeah. guy. I, I hadn't seen him in much. I, I caught him in, um, I think it was the the Marvel TV show. that It was only short-lived. Yeah, it was only one yeah, season. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Inhumans. Yeah. Inhumans, yeah. Voice. <laughs> yeah, it was all done, all done with looks, and that's it. That's all he had to work yeah. on. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, excellent. Well, um, we're going to crack on with the episode. Um, as we do with every episode, uh, I'll basically run down what actually happens in the episode. We'll bring it over to you, any comments, anything you like. And uh, afterwards, then we'll do rating criteria. But I'll introduce each criteria as we go. So we have our LCARS system. And uh, LCARS uh, stands for Location, Continuity, Alteration, Recommendation, and then the S is just for me, where I set up my next episode. So location, let's talk about the episode. We start off with a big flash at 6 minutes and 29 seconds, our timestamp to start us on the episode. And we find out the Voyager has made it home. Um, oh, uh, journey's over. That's it. Job done. Good and uh, Voyager's all over. Uh, any thoughts? Did you think that, oh, maybe Voyager have made, has made it home and things are going to be different when you first watch this episode? Um, no, too easy, too soon. <laughs> uh, there's always a catch, isn't there? Uh, again, I think, every, I think every series has had some sort of time. I think it's just Star Trek Digital, isn't it? To have some sort of time travel episodes. Um, so this was Voyager's turn, and I thought I did a bloody good job of it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And we find that out really quickly when um, they try and hail Starfleet. No one's on the other end, and uh, they start getting these odd TV signals coming through the channel. Um, they, they seem to be getting every station, so they've probably got the best satellite package available in Starfleet. And uh, we not only find that, but we find out that Han uh, Ensign Harry Kim gives us our year. He says, based on the star charts, it is 1996. So we're going to jump out of our episode, and I'm going to do a bit of a history rundown, very basic history for 1996. Now we start off in January with a bit of Star Trek history, in fact. Um, the Motorola flip phone. The first one, the StarTac, uh, S-T-A-R-T-A-C, wearable cellular mobile phone. The designer of this flip phone uh, actually cites Star Trek as the inspiration for this flip phone. Um, so Star Trek is, is sort of influencing history uh, as we are talking. Um, uh, do, do you have uh, the flip phone? Did you get one of these first ones? Do you remember your first flip phone? I've never had a, no, I've never, I've never had a flip. Ah... Uh, I have to say, I've got a fond memory of a Nokia flip phone, and you can bet that every time I tried to make a phone call, I had to do the bloop with my voice, just to make it feel like I was Captain Kirk. Um, but uh, no, January, we start the year with a bit of Star Trek making our history there. Um, this is one year after the um, big Balkans and uh, Europe, the Eastern European conflicts. Uh, we've had the Bosnian Wars. So uh, all of those uh, nation states are breaking apart and are uh, going their own separate ways. But there are still huge tensions between Russia, Bosnia, Yugoslavia and several other nations in that area. So there's lots of infighting through quite a few months as we go through the year. As we carry on into March, we have um, several prime ministers are changing over, so world governments are changing at this time. And in the Middle East, we also get Iraqi forces are sort of pushing their way around. Uh, so they're trying to sort of 
um, uh, go behind the scenes. They're trying to outsmart some of the uh, the UN inspection teams and things like that. So whilst all the world are changing their governments and going through elections, we have the Middle East turmoil also coming in. So we've got wars in the eastern side of Europe and the Middle East tensions as well. Any thoughts on that, Paul? Uh, do you remember that sort of time where things were sort of on a tension? Uh, the Cold War is long gone, but we've still got these these mini wars sort of going on. Yeah, it was... It was, a, yeah, it was a very strange time in Europe, wasn't it? Especially like that sort of that sort of area in Europe. Um, there's always some skirmish here and skirmish there and warlords here. Um, it wasn't a good time. Uh, <laughs> it, peace, like peace sort of time, sort of thing. Um, but uh, I don't remember following it uh, as much on the news as like the, the like, Afghanistan war and stuff like that, Desert Storm. Um, I think, again, probably because it was, well, it's not as important. I think, again, like the wars were, it was a strange time on the news. There was a lot of doom and gloom. Yes. No, I, I, I completely understand. Obviously, I, at this point, I am 13 in 1996. But I, I get what you mean, sort of the way it was reported, it was almost felt like this isn't really anything to do with us. They, they always sort of showed it as this is another stage away. Um, Afghanistan and everything that happened around 9-11, you kind of felt, well, we're their allies, so it's sort of to do with us. But they always reported it, at least on the news, that it wasn't really something we were getting involved in. So it was on one stage removed. You weren't, you weren't as fearful, or I never felt as fearful as a kid watching it on the news. You always sort of felt a bit more distant. So no, I completely agree. It's, it's, it's that sort of feeling that you felt distant, even though geographically it's not that far away from where we are. Um, no. Yeah, it's a few hours flight away. It's really not that far away at all. Um, as we go through into uh, April, these tensions are continuing to go on. We're seeing a lot of uh, Palestinian fighting as well, so pushing back against Israel. So again, more Middle Eastern conflict is just constantly gr you know, grinding up and, and building up around these areas. Now, the reason I'm sort of highlighting all this tension is that in the Star Trek timeline, in this timeline, we've um, apparently just said goodbye to our biggest mass murderer ever in the name of Khan. Um, so it just it makes me feel like everything that goes on in this episode in Voyager, nobody mentions, oh, by the way, do you know that a third of the world is blowing up right now? Nobody seems to mention that whatsoever. Uh, any thoughts on that? Eugenics war, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. They completely um, bypassed that in right, this episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I mean, again, I think it was because the original series, there was no law, was there, Star Trek, the original series. It wasn't until basically Next Generation, it's like, oh, actually, now we're going to we're gonna structure Star Trek a bit more, mm. get more fluid, get some history and... Um, and set, like the star dates and stuff like the original series made absolutely no sense. But apparently in the second and uh, next generation, I believe the star dates made a bit more sense. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until next generation came along that they started making make what they class as law these days mm. and history and a timeline. But uh, I think because there was no back history, and it's just well, but it was made in the 60s, wasn't it? I would just say the year that's ages away, the 80s. <laughs> that's future enough for us. 
<laughs> it does, yeah, it does seem to be. We, we we certainly lived through like the worst of history, and we didn't even know. I mean, that's that's the best bit, really, for us. Um, but uh, you know, he disappeared. Uh, Khan was sent off into space, so nobody needed to know about that. It's absolutely fine. They perhaps sent him away uh, because of this. In May of this year, the X Prize Foundation sets up a ten million dollar prize to create the Ansari X which is basically the first commercial plan to make um, a space vehicle that could be launched from a commercial plane. So the idea is the plane would take off with whatever space vehicle it was carrying, and then that could be launched into space. It would be an easier way of getting to space other than shuttles and things like this. Um, and so who knows? Maybe that was all big, one big cover yeah. to launch the Botany Bay and get rid of Khan, and nobody was talking about it. Who knows? It's secret histories. There we go. Um, we get the first Chechnya war as well in, in May of this year as well. So that's another big part of this between uh, the Russian president, Boris Yeltsin, uh, and the Chechen leaders. Sort of the, the talks break down and we get the first sort of Chechnya war. Uh, as we go through the year, again, the, the turmoil seems to sort of ratchet up and go through. And we get to... Oh, and we get to August when um, a actual... Uh, real life uh, evil figure I want to say um, Osama Bin Laden writes his first declaration of jihad against the Americans so we're sort of seeing the pawns setting up for what will eventually become the history we know for the 21st century as well um, there's lots of other things that I could go into but we don't simply have the time um, we have, this would be a 6 hour episode if we carried on but I just want to sort of get the idea, the picture that whilst this episode is going on and it's quite a light, I think quite fun episode there is a real struggle uh, between lots of different power bases in the real world so things aren't looking good so when you've got the title of this episode called Future's End it kind of feels like real history is showing us that actually it kind of feels like that at the moment. Everything seems to be breaking down into these small conflicts, which possibly might come back to bite us in the 21st century. So there we go. Right, so back to the episode. So we've established it's 1996, and um, before they go down, uh, we find out, for the, I think the first time, that Tom Paris is a bit of an expert on the 20th century, or so he thinks. Um, he yeah. des he describes us as um, we need nice clothes, nice car, and lots of money. Now, lots of money, I agree with, but nice clothes, nice car kind of sounds more like the 1950s than the 1990s, <laughs> at least as I remember it. Uh, any thoughts, John? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, again, all of his knowledge, I think, comes from movies and TV. So he's, he's watching, like... The show's like, oh, yeah, all the blokes have got the flash cars and all the girls around him. So that's where he's getting all his information from. I don't think he's an actual nostalgic person. He gets everything from what he's seen. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it just feels like, you know, if he was uh, if he only had Netflix, that he would only have a small yeah. amount of knowledge. And that's all he's basing it on. It just seemed really yeah. strange. Yeah, yeah watched a couple of other films <laughs> yeah he, he kind of gets it but he's not quite there he's not as good as he knows we then go down to earth and we've got our away team we've got january and we've got uh, chakotay which i think in their sort of pantsuits they kind of blend in quite nicely uh, tom paris he's in whitewashed jeans and a shirt and then you got tuvok the classic vulcan down on earth having to hide his ears with the hat 
and uh, we get a line from Tuvok where he says, we could have just been down in our uniforms and no one would have noticed. Um, any thoughts on that scene? I mean, I think every colour in that scene, they used every colour available in that <laughs> so scene. so bright. <laughs> <laughs> it was colours everywhere. And I, I know the 80s was bright, but bleed neck, I don't remember being like that, even like on near the beach. Um, there were some things that made me laugh. Jane Ray's facial expression, she's been, just as the scene ends, when the two sort of, like, I think they were like punks, walk past her face expression, just maybe to chuckle um and i'm sure there was also and again don't know if it's a little nod but there was a guy with a surfboard and on the board it had mccoy yeah yes so yeah, i'm not sure was. if that was a little, little nod or an accident I, I don't know i did like the fact that the punks went past because it did make me think of my previous episode that i've just recorded which is uh star trek 4 where we've got the punk on the oh. bus and here we've got punks oh, again okay. so um, so it made me think of those guys as well. Um, in that scene, we also find out that uh, in our future, in 2047, just 27 years away, there's going to be a huge earthquake and all of Los Angeles is going to fall into the water. Um, I better tell my wife because she loves Disneyland and wants to go there. So uh, we better get in there before 2047. Uh, any thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, that's again, that was a bit of a very lighthearted episode and you get that bit of dark bit again just to keep the... Yeah, this is Voyager. It's a fun show, but there's also that serious aspect to it. And and everything that happens in the future isn't always good. Um, But we know humanity survives and thrives and progresses. Um, But, yeah, it's very, very strange just to throw that in to say, yeah, all this is all going to go. But, yeah, again, you never never know. (laughs) Exactly. They're always waiting for the big one, as far as I'm aware, that uh, they're just waiting for that one earthquake. Um, During this year, actually, during the the historical research, there are a few earthquakes going on uh, in sort of the the Far East. So, you know, it's not unbelievable that, you know, it's in the zeitgeist, it's in that kind of atmosphere. Um, So as we go on, uh, we find out that uh, Tuvok's a bit of a hypochondriac, doesn't like getting a suntan, and uh, that... uh, there seems to be a strange signal coming from a homeless man. Okay, moving on to the Griffith Observatory, we meet our, our 20th century character, the person that was sort of uh, going to talk to the most during this, and it's Rain Robinson, played by Sarah Silverman. And um, they sort of she discovers Voyager. She discovers that they're out there, and she's using these uh, old computers, which kind of put me in mind of sort of uh, Independence Day and... You know how um, in those things they were using uh, really, really old floppy disk computers and somehow they managed to beat these aliens. And here she is detecting Voyager with the same sort of kit as well. Um, uh, any thoughts on Rain Robinson, the character? Did you like her? Um, did you feel that she she fit in with the, the crew? Yes. Um, she, geeky nerd, smart, mm. but she wasn't. Usually when you get geeky nerds on TV, they're, you know, glasses, freckles, um, shy, timid, um, but completely opposite of what you usually get as a geeky nerd on TV. Um, uh, Sarah Silverman, again, I think she played her character really well. Um, she, brought, uh, she brought something, again, uh, comedic humour to, to, to her character. They blended that well. Um 
I loved um, I loved her desk. Did you see the little mm. things on her desk? Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, Again, had you could see like the posters on the wall, and you think, oh, she must love every single sci-fi show that's been made, um, and the obscure like movies. Uh, yeah, I liked the character. Um, when you mentioned about the computer bit, I think we'll mention that in the, in the later scene, uh, which I, I did find amusing. Um, but yeah, I liked the character. I thought she played it really well. Nice. Yes. Yeah, I, I completely agree. She's... This has been sort of a theme as I've been going through because uh, we're going through every scene in turn. All the 20th century, uh, the main character has normally been a female character who has sort of gone against type, who has been really strong, really well written and isn't that kind of stereotype. So she hasn't gone yeah. into the stereotype of the geek. You know, Edith yeah. Keeler is, isn't the person back in, uh, you know, City on the Edge of Forever. She's um, she's looking after you know, homeless people and things, but she's not a pushover. She's she's really strong. She has her own mind. She has her own opinions on things. So we've had these fantastic characters all the way through the 20th century. And I think Rain Robinson is, is sort of a great endpoint for that. So, no, I completely agree with you on that as well. Um, moving on from there, we now find that she has a boss who is Mr. Starling. Um, who is trying to sort of put her off getting in touch with NASA and he seems to know more about what's going on than she does. He even stands in front of a huge map of the world like a true Bond villain and he's trying yeah. to sort of keep her back. Any thoughts on Starling, the, the the villain character at this point? Oh, my God. Ed Begley Jr., he just nails this role. I mean, when you first see him at the very beginning, don't you, he's like a spaced out hippie yeah um yep. and then the next time we see him he's like this yeah he bond like exactly what you said a megalomaniac bond villain um and he's so confident he's so slimy and just nothing gets he gets the one little hint of oh shall i oh and i'm that's it i know what to do yes. uh, um it's like like a two second let me think about it uh oh yeah i gotcha and and away he goes. Um, he just doesn't, it just, nothing sticks to him. <laughs> he just pulls it off. I mean, he's not a big, uh, a big well-named, but you see him when you say, oh, I know him. He's been in this and he's been in that and he's been in that. But he just, yeah, he was perfect for it. And he just pulled it off so well. Again, great casting on the show. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think that that is, that's absolutely true. I think, um, Every single character in this uh, who isn't part of our main crew really stands out. They're, they're, they've got really strong performances all the way through. Uh, so, no, I completely agree with you. Um, and, yes, we see the tattoo, so we know that it's the hippie on the hill. Now, we saw this scene a few episodes back in our series on this podcast, and we wondered who that hippie was going to be. Well, here he is, and he is evil. Uh, but we will talk about him a bit later on as well. Um, we move on to uh, finding out who that homeless man who was giving off the weird signals was. And we find out that it's an older version of a Captain Braxton. Now, because we're only looking at the 1996 scenes, we haven't seen him yet. Um, but we will at the end of the scene as well. But any thoughts on the crazy uh, homeless man Braxton um, scenes? Uh, I think of all timeline stories, whether it's Star Trek, any any film... It's got a time traveling aspect to it. There's always so he so he's goes to Voyage at the beginning, doesn't he? Um to say that you cause a disaster. But at the same time, if he didn't go to Voyager in the first place, <laughs> the Voyager 
he wouldn't have gone back in time. <laughs> so in some aspects, he does create the, the pattern like, again. That's how he explains it. It's, it's a paradox, isn't it? It's <laughs> this goes to A to B to C and back to A again. And I think every film has that. Yes, but if that didn't happen, but if that didn't happen, but I think they, the way he explained it sums up time travel films and shows. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. It's it, yeah. I mean, it, you can't. I think you can't have a proper time travel episode until someone gets a piece of chalk and just starts drawing drawing circles over yeah. circles over circles. Yeah. Um, but yes, I mean, th- this this might play into our continuity about whether what happens in this episode really matters. But yeah, if he doesn't go back in the first place, he didn't start anything. Now, in this timeline, if if we're going to take it as a, a separate timeline he figures out that actually it wasn't Voyager to blame. It was yes. him. Uh, and, but something else is going to happen with his time ship. And he gives us our mission, effectively. He says, you need to stop Starling. Starling's going to be doing something with it. He's the guy who's got my time ship, and he's the one that's going to start the explosion. Um, so he sort of drives forward the plot, the plot at the moment. At the moment, the Voyager seems to just be trying to find its way, but now we've definitely got that mission. Um I did like that at the end of this scene, the cops show up and he's been putting signs out around LA about the end of the world. They turn up and I just like that he, you know, he's a time agent, but he's giving away loads of future knowledge by calling them quasi Cardassians and you're such fascists and all this sort of thing. And, you know, he's calling them Cardassians, even though they would have no idea what a Cardassian is. (laughs) Um, So uh, I just like the idea that he's using future knowledge to insult people. I thought that was quite funny. Um, and uh, But uh, Janeway and Chakotay, who are talking to him, sort of throw him under the bus and they say, oh, we don't really know who this guy is. And uh, he sort of calls them traitors and runs off. Fortunately, the cops go and follow him and not I these two random... That's a bit mean on their part. <laughs> it was a bit. We just asked. They could have said, oh, we just, you know, from a, a church or we just asked him if he needs any help or money. But they're just like, no, we don't know him. <laughs> they, could, they could have said, look, you know, come with us. They could have been them aboard, given the medical check over. But nah. <laughs> On with the show. <laughs> it's just the way Jane, Jane says, oh, we'll worry about him later. Don't worry. He's, he's fine. He's being chased by the yeah. police. Yeah, it's fine. It's all right. Uh, Rain Robinson actually goes uh, behind Starling's back and sends a message to Voyager anyway. And so up on Voyager, we now start to get an idea that uh, they've been detected. Uh, But before that, we now get Paris and Rain Robinson having a sort of talk about uh, physics and things like that. There's quite a lot of uh, double entendre and and stuff going on here where they're talking about, oh, your curves are all wrong. But actually, he's talking about mathematical curves on a chart, not her. Uh, and there's there's loads of other lines as we go through this episode where that sort of thing happens. Um, any thoughts on that? On what's going on there? The between Rain and Paris? No, you, you can see that like, you can see they were building up the chemistry between the two of them, and I think that's what that scene was a bit about. But also, like. Um, Two box again, facial expressions like what what are you doing? What's not quite sure how to interact here because I can't give anything away. But there's then there's Tom doing almost like the complete opposite of what we should be doing because he's been Tom Paris and he <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was quite like what what I don't know I don't know. So he got a bit confusing like. You can, just with two box like I'm not quite sure what I don't know what to do here and that's two box like. I don't know, yeah. 
It's true. It is true. And I like how, as he realizes that Rain and Paris are kind of hitting it off together and they're talking, he goes around the other side with his tricorder to sort of infect her computer with a virus. Um, and, you know, Paris is using these terms like groovy and all this kind of stuff, and it's throwing her off a bit. Um, you know, if he'd just waited a few more years, Austin Powers was about to come out, and, you know, groovy would have come back into the use again. It wouldn't have sounded so weird. Um, but um, uh, he uh, bonds with her over movies and things like that, but they wipe her hard drive. And again, it made me think of Independence Day. You see the crossbones come up on her screen as they leave. And, you know, this this disease has wiped out all of her computer, just like they sent out the virus to kill the mothership in Independence Day. Um, uh, they then get chased down by the henchman uh, for Starling, who has a phaser, but it's a weird looking kind of phaser, uh, something we're not used to seeing. And there's a bit of a firefight and their van, their truck gets vaporized. So they've got to run off with Rain Wilson. Um once they move on from that scene, we then go back up to Voyager and Kim has got uh, Neelix and Kess watching TV shows to see if there's anything more being said about Voyager. Now, they ha- they said they ran an algorithm to see if there was anything that would make them think that Voyager was being mentioned. And at no point do they see the X-Files. Very strange. <laughs> very, very strange. But what were your thoughts on this? Like Neelix and Kess getting into uh, soap operas and so forth. I thought that yeah that 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 scene actually had me laughing quite good that one um, <laughs> the way they were like getting so intrigued into the like who who I think it was like who the father was of the baby or the affair um, it was just yeah, so because I, kind of, oh, I want to know as well <laughs> they were just gobsmacked and like so intrigued and it was like nothing else matters hey eh? we'll we'll sort that out in a minute we just gotta find out what happens next. <laughs> It was great. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah, no, I want to know as well. You know, is, is Blaine's twin brother the father of Jessica's baby? I mean, this is fantastic. We've got we've got short treks at the moment. Uh, you know, maybe we should get a short trek, which is just that, just that soap opera. I've got nothing to do with Star Trek whatsoever, and just get a short trek just to explain that, so all the fans know the final outcome from that storyline. Uh, maybe that will come into our alterations criteria later on. Um, we uh, then get Janeway and Chakotay breaking into Krona Works and uh, they then have to try and decipher these weird pictograms on the computer. What's going on? How do they surf around this computer where it's pictures representing information? And uh, Janeway comes out with a, ni- a line that was from our very first episode this season where she says, stone knives and bear skins, just like Spock was describing all the technology back in City on the Edge of Forever. Uh, any thoughts on Janeway having to learn how to use a computer? Uh, that, oh, when, yeah, when I first saw that one, that took me back to, I believe it is, yeah, Star Trek Four with um, Scotty at the computer in the glass thing. Yes. So, again, I, I that, again, was a little nod to, to that, that show. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was, because I think they do like to acknowledge even nostalgia or just a little, yeah, this little, it wasn't just this great man. <laughs> even, even you know, an intelligent captain can make the same sort of mistakes. Um, oh, how how quaint! <laughs> <laughs> it's very true, very true. Um, 
We uh, get Rain, we get Paris and Tuvok in the van, making their escape, and they're trying to make a cover story for what Rain has just seen. She's just seen a van being vaporised by a laser. And so Paris says, uh, we're spies, and uh, we're trying to run from the KGB, even though the KGB haven't existed at this point for at least five years. Uh, but that's exactly what they want you to think. Um, given... Given the real history we've just seen, there's a lot of Russian conflict going on. Uh, there's the the Chechnya wars and the, and so forth. You know, it's not a million miles away that maybe there are secret forces going on uh, behind the scenes. Um, would you have bought it if Paris gave you that line and told you, "Oh, we're spies fleeing from the KGB"? Oh, if I saw laser phaser guns going off, no. Where do I sign up? <laughs> No, no, you'd be like, come on, I've got, we've got, a, we've got, I've got a spaceship up there, I've got this <laughs> happening down here. <laughs> take take me with you, yeah, that's yeah, it, exactly. just take me away, that's fine. I, can, I know you're aliens, you know, you might be a human, but I know you're aliens, because I can see your ears, everything's fine, because she saw two Vox ears as well, but she seemed to take it really well, you know, she didn't seem to think yeah. there was anything wrong with that, it's absolutely fine. Um. We now find out that Starling has been uh, cannibalizing the timeship and using it to profit. So he's been releasing the integrated circuit very first time in 1969. He's been launching the computer revolution by stealing this technology from the 29th century. Um, there's a bit of back and forth. It's sort of like a Bond villain again. You know, you've got Janeway as, as James Bond and you've got Starling as the villain and they're sort of trying to one up each other. You know, uh, I'm going to outfox you. You're going to outfox me. Um, uh, any thoughts on the interplay between Janeway and Starling and, and how they're kind of trying to psych each other out? No, I think you, you can use summed it up. It, it, it was basically uh, the calm intellect Janeway against a calm intellect megalomaniac. Um, yeah. And it was no one's going to break their call. Who's, who's going to break first? It was a chess, you know, basically a chess game. Who's going to who's going to make their move first? Um, who's going to show their cards? Um, so it's right up until uh, the, you know, the scene ends is who's going to do what first? Who's going to, sh- Tell everyone that the plan is that we're going to stop you, or this is how I'm going to stop you, whatever way you look at it. Yeah, again, eye contact, it was all all there, you know, you, you might as well have been like a spaghetti western showdown. <laughs> nice. Oh, I would have I would have liked to have seen that, yeah, a bit of like a phaser off, just like, who's going to draw first? That's very cool. Um, yeah, um, but uh, the only thing that breaks it is the fact that Kim then dares to rescue Janeway. They need to come into low orbit because all their transporters were broken in the time incident that brought them back in time, um, which exposes Voyager. And they start to see themselves appear in news feeds as a UFO. Um, they try and steal some information from Starling's computer. They get 3,000 gigabytes of information in 1996. That's a lot of information. Um, I remember old uh, one megabyte floppy disks being very popular at that time. So where they got 3,000 gigabytes from, I have no idea. Um, but um, they uh, they get rescued. They get brought onto the ship. But Starling then gets his own back. He then uses some advanced 29th century technology to steal information back from them. And uh, we'll later find out how much he stole. 
but he steals a very important thing. He steals the Doctor. Uh, any thoughts on bringing the Doctor down to the 20th century? Yeah, I first sight the Doctor this episode. Um, again, a great, great character played by Robert Ricardo. Um, Again, finally get him out because he hasn't got his uh, hollow emitter one, has he? So he finally to get him out of the sick bay. Um, and of course, you're like, what? Well, how, how the heck has this happened? <laughs> uh, it, it made what I liked about the scene is you got Voyager and all their, you know, their technology and all their touch pads and stuff, and they know how to work the ship. And then you got uh, Ed Begley on, the, on his laptop computer, well, it's not even a laptop, it's a basic computer game on his keyboard and an outsmarting Voyager. <laughs> that was, really, even with the technology, surely that computer would be really slow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was, as the whole way through that scene, I was thinking the dial-up noise should be playing like yeah. at least a dozen times by this point. <laughs> it would be ball band, so there's no Wi-Fi I think back then, so <laughs> Yeah, that made me chuckle. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, exactly the same. Um, that scene ends, which actually ends this episode at 45 minutes, uh, exactly. We then go into Future's End Part 2, and we come in at 1 minute 26 after the recap of the episode. And um, we now get Rain and Paris. They are sort of trying to figure out what their next move is going to be. And Tuvok comes in with breakfast, but he doesn't come in with just, you know, a tiny little uh, hash brown and a bit of bacon. He comes in with a full dinner. He's got like huge cups of soda. He's got burgers. He's got everything. He's got burritos. Um, I want to hang out with Tuvok every time it's breakfast time. That, that sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they're trying to send a signal so they can be rescued by Voyager as well. So they're going to go back to the radio dish back at uh, the Griffiths Observatory if they can, or try and use a different dish if they can. That then ends the scene at 4 minutes 18 seconds. We come back into the episode at 6 minutes 3 seconds after the credit sequence. Now, this is the first time I've watched a Voyager episode with you. Um, just talking about the credit sequence, how do you feel about the, the Voyager credit sequence? Where does it rank on your list? Do you, do you like it the best? Are there other theme tunes that you prefer? I love the Voyager music. Um, I think it's a beautiful piece of music, and I, and I love the intro. Um Every time I watch it, um, sometimes, you know, yeah, I'll skip for the intro. I watch that. Uh, even Debbie says to me, oh, you like this bit, uh, the bit where Voyager's going over, like the dust cloud, and you see you see the reflection of Voyager. And that is absolutely beautifully made. And Star Trek's got that classic theme. Next Generation's got their classic theme. Voyager, it's forgotten about. Deep Space Nine is forgotten. You say Give a Star Trek theme tune, it'll either be Next Generation or the original. Um, Voyager is, and all the other, I think all the other shows as well, they are all forgotten, but I think Voyager's got a beautiful piece of music. Absolutely, and that, that intro, um, I think I think it blows all of them out of the, out, 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 out of the water. Yeah. I, I really love it, I really do. 
No, I, I agree with you. Yeah, Voyager isn't my favourite flavour of Trek. Um, you know, TNG was my first love. You know, it's the, you know, always remember your first. Um, so for me, TNG is always going to be my favourite series. But when I think of credit sequences, and like you say, the, the beautiful visuals mixed in with the music at the same time, that kind of da bam 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 it's really, it's a really uplifting kind of piece of music. And it's a, it's its own piece of music. You know, the TNG was just a copy of the movies. You know, yeah. it, it didn't really, it wasn't its own identity. Whereas yeah. Voyager just really comes up. And uh, DS9, which I do like, I do like DS9 um, because it was that first foray into serialization. I like the long form stories. It's a very slow piece of music. And even though it's one of my favorite yeah. series, it's actually one of my least favorite credit sequences. And Voyager, it's the other way around. You know, I don't like Voyager as much as other things, but the credit sequence I really do like, and I do put it up above. So no, I, I completely agree with you on that one as well. Um, we now come back into the scene, six minutes, three seconds, and we find out that Starling stole 20% of the cube, computer core memory of the entire Voyager. Now, 20% of a starship which must have thousands upon millions upon trillions upon billions of gigaquads of data. And somehow we stole it with what looks like an, um, an Omega <laughs> Atari. Um, how did you do that? Service must be huge. Oh, this USB stick, what was the invention back then? <laughs> when you look at it like that, you're like, oh dear. Um, yeah, I mean, they must have, I mean, the information, apart from the doctor, you don't actually know what sort of information is it. Star charts, is it the, all, the, all the medical database, uh, logs, holodecks, uh, who knows what he's got. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It could just be all the recipes from the, the replicator and they yeah, never have normal food again. <laughs> oh, God, no, Neelix's cookbook. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that would be a nice little revenge, I think, on Starling. You know, he's downloaded the entire cookbook and it's the most worthless piece of information he could have got. So that yeah, that kind of worked out. Um, uh, uh, Starling is going to... They, they absolutely work out now. Starling is going to destroy the 29th century Earth and also the whole solar system by going into the future. We don't know why yet, but he's going to go into the future, make a mistake, and he's going to blow up everything in the 29th century. So they have to stop him. So really, it was just a, a reiteration of the same mission that we knew we already had. We have to stop Starling. Um, they, uh, they start adapting flip phones. So now in our real history, we saw that flip phones have just come out. And they are now adapting the flip phones to use as communicators. I like how it's, you know, Star Trek created the flip phone, but now the flip phone is being used in Star Trek. And it, I just like that sort of, it's almost a time loop in its own self. It's, yeah, it's exactly. really yeah, nice. I to be A again, yeah. <laughs> I hate temporal mechanics. Oh, terrible. <laughs> in the um, original series, Kirk, in, in some ways, Kirk, they did have a tablet, didn't they? An original tablet. That yeah. thing that they used to sign, they were captain signed this. That was, yeah. in some ways, that was a tablet. Because <laughs> you never saw what was actually on displayed on it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It could just be a tablet inside like a chunky reader. You know, just like a thing you can sit on your on your lap, like a little laptop table. Yeah. Um, you know, the tablet itself could be tiny. Um, so, yeah, exactly. Um, we've had pads for years. Um, <laughs> the interrogation of the Doctor. Um, 
Starling says your program's not very sophisticated. Now, he's obviously saying he's so used to 29th century technology that the Doctor isn't that sophisticated. But it did make me think, why did he steal the Doctor in the first place? If he saw the program and was so excited about it, if he already knew that it was an outdated program, it seemed really weird. Why did he steal that in the first place? Um, but I think it's it seems clear that he's not quite sure what he's got. Uh, any thoughts on that with the Doctor? Yeah, because uh, does he say, oh, isn't it? This is interesting. Is it something along them lines? I think, oh, this is it, when he's on his computer. So that must be maybe that's the first time he's actually come across. Um, again, one you can interact with. Um, that's the only way I can think. You know, I think that's the only way I can fully explain that. Um, and again, I think that's also the first time we see some uh, an emotion for the doctor, isn't it? It's true. Yeah, that's that. yeah. This is my next note: is that now we know Starling is truly evil because he hurts the doctor, who is the best character of Voyager. <laughs> In my yeah. humble opinion, in my humble opinion, I have to say. Uh, but, you know, we we know he was the bad guy. We know he had to stop him, but he wasn't really the bad guy until he hurts your favourite character. Um, he gives him pain. He starts giving him pain, fear responses, all by pressing what appeared to be the zero key on his number pad on the keypad. So what exactly he's set up that keypad to do, I have no idea. Um, but... Um, we now have uh, Rain calling in to Starling to try and trick him, trying to bring him out into the open because Paris and Tuvok are going to try and uh, get hold of him, beam him up to Voyager and stop him from going to the 29th century. Um, but Starling's going to bring the Doctor along for uh, protection, for a bit of a bargaining chip, but the Doctor doesn't, doesn't think he can leave. We now find out that he's got a mobile admitter. He can actually take him with him. Um, but before we get to that point, um, there's a nice little chat. Uh, Chakotay and Taurus are now in a shuttle, and they're coming down into the atmosphere. They're using some sort of scattering technology to hide themselves, make themselves appear like they're a, an aircraft. But they are going to try and um, get a little bit closer so they can beam people out without exposing Voyager again. And I thought there was a really nice chat about uh, where they were in the Academy and their their past, their history, and I, I sort of I kind of like the idea that Chakotay and Torres were talking about how they've adjusted to life on Voyager and how things have got better for them um, from the very beginning. Any thoughts on sort of Chakotay and Torres? They've I've always, I've always thought he's almost like a father figure towards her in some aspects, because they, they are from like the Mark East or side. But, and we know that Chakotay always talks, he feels responsible for all the, like, the Marquis crew that he's got. But with, when it comes to Torres, I always thought he was very, he does come across as a father figure towards her, um, I found. Um, there was never ever, or oh, should we make these two a couple, as far as I, I could tell. Um, but I think when you go into their history, I think it's all fantasy. You always find out they always they was never afraid to explore their their past and any of the characters. They all came out with something. Oh, I mentioned this, and but, but yeah, I think they they, they had, again. What I found with Voyagers, they had such good chemistry. And they all seemed, and, and I think it showed on the screen. 
And I think that's what helped when when they were talking about their back history that it it didn't it felt natural. Yes. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I can. See, yeah. Totally see that. It's uh, the fact that they had crumb together in the marquee and they they'd fought together and it would seem natural you know you're in like a you're in the shuttle you're with the guy you work with at work and you just start sort of talking and talking about the old times you know it felt really nice and and like you say natural yeah perfect way of saying it um uh, moving on as we go through uh they are going to launch this operation to try and beam starling out of his car uh because things have gone sideways the Doctor is out in the open, experiencing the world for the first time with his emitter. We'll come back to that in just a, just a moment. Um, but Starling has outfoxed Tuvok and Paris and gone into his car. But they are now beaming him out onto the shuttle. But he's activated some sort of inhibitor, some uh, piece of tech from the future that is stopping the transport and making it dangerous for them. And it's affecting the shuttle. But before we get into that, uh, thoughts on seeing the Doctor with the mobile emitter for the first time. Um when you first saw this episode, like, what was your reaction? Uh, well, I never thought he'd keep it. I thought, oh, okay, this is again. It was really nice to see him outside. Um, outside to stick me. Uh, you saw again and a different gave him again a different dimension. He always had different dimensions. Came across as a grumpy, almost Doctor McCoy-ish, um, unappreciated uh, character. Um, Again, I'm not sure if that was part of his program, um, but it just gave him something new to deal with. So you saw him in a different light and, and you, you felt, oh, this could be quite fun to see what it, where this goes. So, OK, let's see what's going to happen next. Um, again, uh, he always, he's always one, always one step ahead of them. It doesn't matter what they come up with. He's just, he's just like I say, he's so so calm and like I've got an answer for everything you've got. I can top you. I've got technology which is beyond Voyager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you think that you know he's had what about thirty years to plan if someone ever turned up to try and take it away from him. Yeah. What's he gonna do? So you know he's got a little device in his pocket. He goes to here. He goes there. He's trying to outthink what people might be doing with him. So, you know, he's going to bring the Doctor as a hostage by giving him his mobility and, and things like this. Um, you know, I like that devious aspect that he was trying to think of extra strategies all the way through. So, yeah, perfect. Um, the thing that he does affects the shuttle and causes it to crash. Now, they crash, and I think the story takes a really weird sideways step, and we go into some weird bunker, like, compound where it's a bunch of survivalist guys with guns uh, talking about, you know, individualism versus collectivism and, you know, uh, I don't believe in government, big government and all this kind of stuff. And it, it, it felt really weird. Like this, so far, the adventure has been Captain Braxton tells them to stop Starling, stop Starling, save the future. And then suddenly we shift to this other story going on that had nothing to do with anything. Um, I don't yeah. know whether they were... They were trying to sort of shoehorn in like another part of the episode. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, it just fell out of place. Um, it just like, well, you know, it 
just didn't feel right. I don't know if it was like, okay, let's we can fill this in, or unless they had other plans, but that fell through budget constraints, and okay, this is the best we can come up with. It just something about it fell off. Didn't feel right. Um, didn't feel like it should be there. Uh, it felt like something well, almost like a time filler. I, I wonder if they had something else planned. Uh, maybe like a big police chase or an army chase, and then there was no budget for it, and th- this is what they could come up with in the time scale. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I had the exact same things. It it felt like maybe they were trying to make a point about you know uh, the individual freedom to to sort of uh, you know, explore your own ways. As Starling is trying to sort of have his own individualism, you know, he's he's doing his own thing and forging his own path versus we all sing the same hymn sheet and we all get along as in Star Trek. And, you know, that's a bad thing to some people. I don't know if they were trying to go for that, but it, it really feel, felt ham-fisted. It felt like it, it didn't make any sense. It felt like it should have been a whole yeah. other episode on its own. Um, it fits the time period. You know, when you think, you know, X-Files is on the TV, you've got conspiracy theories, UFOs are a huge thing at this point. You know, it kind of fits that there should be conspiracy nuts, you know, that sort of thing. So why didn't they have, yeah. you know, that kind of story? That they were they crash landed and they were found by a guy who's trying to find crop circles or something like that. You know, that would have made more sense to me. But why they went this route, I don't know. It just seemed really strange that they, no. they were deliberately yeah. trying to do something and it didn't really feel like it went anywhere. <laughs> yeah, um, it was. Yeah, it just it just added on. <clears throat> Um, uh, we've now got Starling on board Voyager, and again we get a nice, nice revisit to the Janeway as as Bond and Starling as the the villain. Where Bond thinks he's now outsmarted the villain, but he's just got one extra trick up his sleeve. Um, he's got Mister Dunbar, his uh, his henchman, um, who's uh, who's going to beam him out any second. But they're just they're kind of having a little tête-à-tête. They're trying to take each other on and sort of say, well. I'm going to take you down. And Janeway has a, her um, chronowork stuck is about to crash moment. She's trying to, you know, shine him on. She's trying to sort of outfox him with that. Uh, any thoughts on their, their discussion? Like, you know, I'm trying to bring humanity forward, but he's really being selfish. And Janeway's saying, you know, in my time, you, people like you don't exist. You know, everyone does everything for everyone else. Yeah, this is almost, again, a repeat of the first time that they meet in his office, but now it's on Janeway's turf. And again, it's the same thing. It's the stare down. From his point of view, he feels he's, from his point of view, he feels he's doing the right thing. If I can bring stuff in the future to help mankind now and line his own pockets at the same time, <laughs> oh, is that right or wrong? I've got... That's who's to say. Um, but he's got a lot of trust in his helper. Yeah. <laughs> he could have just, if I leave him on that ship, all this belongs to me. <laughs> and when he gave him the laser gun, I could just shoot you and all this belongs to me. So that guy is he's very loyal to his boss. <laughs> That's a really good point. Yeah, like the pay package must be enormous for Mr. Dunbar. Like, what is he getting out of yeah. it that, that trumps he, he having everything? Say, well, if I just leave him on the ship, let him take him away, all this, I get even, I get all of the thing. So 
he's, he's got he must have some very loyalty for he must have done something to have him in his in his sort of life there. <laughs> Now, um, it, it made me think that, you know, this is a 29th century timeship. Um, we've just had Picard uh, finish, the season one of Picard. Synths and everything were banned, but they ne- they should be back by the 29th century. Was Mr. Dunbar a reprogrammed synth, perhaps? Perhaps he was stuck in the trunk Possibly. of the timeship. He wasn't very, very human-like, was he? He was very cold. Exactly. Very, almost, almost, again, James Bond is almost odd jobby type. No emotions. The only time you really saw him move was when he was in the phase of it. Other than that, he was just almost down cold, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so I'm wondering yeah, if, like, yeah, he could, he could. Yeah, I'm wondering if, like, every time ship in the, in the trunk, there's, like, a, a synth who has to be activated. And, uh, you know, Starling got there, he reprogrammed him, called him Mr. Dunbar, and off we went. Uh, who knows? Maybe. Maybe that's why he's so loyal. Um, <laughs> we've, uh, we now get, even though the weird thing with Ch- Chakotay and Taurus didn't make any sense to me, it does give one of my favourite comedy lines because they storm the compound, Tuvok and the Doctor. The Doctor walks in and they unload shell after shell after shell at him they 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 fire every shotgun they have machine gun anything and it just passes through him because he's just a hologram and they say dear god help us and the doctor says divine intervention is unlikely and shoots them all with a phaser uh any thoughts on that scene just giving giving the doctor a classic comedy moment i think i think that scene plus perhaps that all of that build up was for that for that doctor to do that one thing. Turns all he's outside. He can pick up a phaser. He's he's happy to stun people. It maybe all of that what we said about it made no sense. Maybe was, that was just built up for that particular scene. <laughs> maybe yeah, maybe the guys yeah who wrote this episode were just comedy guides and they just they realised they need a huge setup just for one little line to pay off at the end. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe yeah. that is it. Maybe, maybe that's it. And let's make it, let's make it big and good. Chakotay <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Tories are rescued. Um, uh, Paris and uh, Rain are trying to track down a truck that they think is carrying the time ship. Little do they know that it's actually a big ruse at this point. Yep. Um, but there was a sort of a, a chase between the Volkswagen um, uh, van and the uh, the lorry, which is supposedly carrying the time ship, Mr. Dunbar is firing back at them, and they're having to take sharp corners and things like this. Um, this actually kind of put me in mind of one of my other favourite shows when I was a kid, which was Knight Rider. Did you ever watch Knight Rider? Oh yes, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Did you ever remember Get the episode? Oh, my favourite. Yeah. Still, still my favourite. <laughs> Do you ever remember the episode where uh, Kit actually got destroyed? By uh, it was a it was a lorry uh, a black lorry that was painted with the same stuff that made him invincible, uh, but they they figured out a way of undoing it and they painted the the lorry invincible, but they managed uh, to make Kit uh, vulnerable again and it ploughed through Kit. Um, this whole scene just for some reason I don't know why, but it just made me think of that episode. And when I was a kid, I was almost brought to tears thinking that Kit the car had been destroyed. And so this 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 part of the episode was very traumatic for me because I thought there was going to be another scene where this truck was just going to plough through Paris and uh, and rain and that was it the characters are gone. Um, but I, I, I genuinely remember watching this episode for the first time thinking that something like that was going to happen. 
Um, any any thoughts on the car chase or anything like that? No, it was again pretty well filmed for a TV show. Um, yeah, I think it was pretty shot pretty uh, pretty decently. Um, yeah, we're pretty happy with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, we get a rescue from the shuttle, which uh, is obviously uh, being brought back, and they fire on the truck, blowing it up, but they realise that there was no time ship uh, in there at all. And that's... Yeah, again. Exactly. But considering that he has been one step ahead, he's back at Chronoworks in their tower. He's about to launch the time ship. He's had 30 years to plan, and he's done it pretty well so far. But he didn't think about putting a launch door in the top of his tower and crashes out the side in the time ship. Any thoughts on that yeah, poor yeah. planning? But yeah, that, yeah, that was that was weird, wasn't it? That's been like, so now everyone's going to see you in a spaceship. So okay, so he comes back, and we're going to say, well, you're what? Are you from, are you from outer space? Are you an alien? Can we trust you? You're still in this stuff. Can we now trust you? That was, again, I thought that was a bit over the top and unnecessary. Just Yeah, it didn't make much sense. I mean, how did he get the ship in there? <laughs> Surely exactly. the same way he put the ship in. It must, must be a way out. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that was unnecessary. I think, yeah, she could have had like a, a, a again, maybe a holographic door, a hole in the roof you can come out of, like a helipad sort of thing that way. Um, I think that was just maybe a special effect for the point of having a special effect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it did make me think. Like, is there like a construction crew that had to be paid off not to talk about this thing that they were lifting into the tower yeah. when they were building it, and nobody mentioned it after that? You know, the, this weird plane-looking thing is just sitting inside a, a tower block yeah, for some don't, reason don't, under the blanket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> He sent Mr. Dunbar to go and kill them afterwards, so no one knows what happened when they built the tower. That's what it was. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you but, know too much. <laughs> exactly, yeah. That's it. Uh, yeah, no, uh, no talking, loose lips, sink ships, and all that. Um, so now we get the big chase, and it's all about action at the moment. And there's two big scenes, I think, from this. Um, first, we get the goodbye to Rain Robinson as Paris goes onto the shuttle to go back to Voyager and you know, reassemble the crew. Now, uh, normally I don't do the behind-the-scenes stuff uh, on this show. We just look at the episode. But I do remember reading that they were considering bringing Rain Robinson as a full-time character onto Voyager. She was going to be uh, someone from the 20th century and who is brought into the future. Um, any thoughts? Would you like to have seen that? Would, or do you like the fact that she is just a, a sort of one-and-done, set-aside character? I actually thought she was going to go back. I honestly thought she was going to go, oh, there's nothing here for me. I know this. Oh, yeah, come on, come with us, you know. Um, I think she I think she would have, um, what, what department? I think she'd be a quick learner. Um, they did it with the the well lady, didn't they, in Star Trek IV. Um, so, no, they can do it. We know it's happened. Um, yeah, I, honest, I honestly thought, Oh yeah, Tom's gonna she's gonna take her back. I mean, you know what these shows like, they bring a character in, you can just put oh put her in and never speak see her again, but at least she went back. Uh, yeah, I was I was shocked that she didn't go back. Yeah. 
And she seemed a perfect fit for, for Paris. You know, it made sense that the thing that he loves, which is the 20th century, as you know, they're now a person who is the 20th century. They've got a great relationship pre-built and they could have built on that and, and gone wherever they wanted with it. Um, it just seemed strange that they didn't go that route, that they didn't think of bringing her in then. Um, yeah. Um, She's a sort of a stick nerd. It's a sort of uh, a pastime nerd. So yeah, they, they would have been... And they did there the chemistry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, from that, we then say goodbye to that character and we get the chase. So they are chasing Starling, who is sort of going out of the solar system to create a temporal rift to go into the 29th century so he can steal more technology and sell it, uh, make more money. Um, they're chasing him down and now Janeway has to go down to the torpedo uh, room to reconfigure the torpedo manually because their targeting still isn't working. And this kind of put me in mind of Star Trek VI when they reconfigure the torpedo as Spock and Bones, but also uh, in Generations as well when Captain Kirk at the very beginning has to go down to sort of fix it manually to fix the problem. Uh, and it just, I think for me, reinforces how kick-ass kind of Janeway is as a ca- as a captain. Uh, any thoughts on, on that? Yeah, again, uh, she's a captain. She's not afraid to get her hands dirty. Um, again, she's always shown that. She's happy to help out repairing. Um, she's, yeah, uh, yeah, all the thing about, or she's the first female captain, but um, she's a captain who's clever. Um, she's calm. She's got a temple. Who push the buttons and push it too much? She's happy to, okay, I will meet false with false, but if, if we'll leave that as last option, and that's what happens in, in this episode. Um, Kate Mulgrew, yeah, very, very happy with her performance from Jay Ray. When I first, I think it was in the first episode, Caretaker, when I first heard her voice, I thought, oh my God, that accent is really strange. Um, I'm not sure if she, if she had an accent to begin with, or we've just accustomed to it. Every time I, I think even now when I watched the first time, I'm sure she's got something with her voice that gets diminished after or it didn't work and they toned it down. Um, but yeah, I like Jane May again. Yeah. Uh, and she's, yeah, she gets, um, she gets burned for it. She's, she's put into the action. She, she pulls the switch. They fire the torpedo and she saves the day again. She's feisty and she really fights through. Uh, and it is fantastic to watch. And yeah, like you say, uh, all credit to uh, Kate Mulgrew um, for, for her performance as Janeway the whole way through Voyager. Um, we now get sort of the wrap up, the reset button, as it were, as a Braxton, a nice sprightly young Braxton, appears in a new time ship uh, to say that, uh, hang on a minute, we found out you were in orbit of 20th century Earth. You're supposed to be in the Delta Quadrant, so I've come back to just take you back. Okay. Um, I have no idea what you're talking about, what happened in this episode. You know, it doesn't really matter. It was all a complete other timeline. Um, so I'm going to take you back to yours. Is that all right? And they just accept it. Um, I mean, admittedly, they've got no weapons. Yes. They can't fire back. They're I have, completely I've destroyed. I've got some issues now. I've got issues with that. Um, <laughs> first of all, just before the torpedo hits his ship, you finally see a bit of the rubber on his face. That oh no, <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to actually shoot me. At, you know, you actually see on his face that oh damn sort of thing. Um, yes, the the time get now with the time travel. They made we know 
Surely Starfleet records to show this in her log, so they would know why the Voyager is there. <laughs> Unless it's got absolutely no records of just, you know, from that far back. Um, and again, you're like, well, no, why should we? Why should we follow you? <laughs> We're here because of you. So <laughs> we know we know, they must know about time travel from Kirk's record. So let's just slingshot around the sun. We're home. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I'm so It'll glad I'm not alone on this. I had the exact same thought. going. <laughs> What would he have done if, he, if they said, oh, would he have destroyed them? Surely exactly. they, can't, they can't just say, well, we're going to destroy it for being here. <laughs> yeah, if they've got to reset everything and temporal time directive and everything like this, like, what exactly is he going to do if they say no? He, he would be removing yeah. them from time by destroying them, so you can't do that. Um, if they then <laughs> figure out their own way of getting yeah. home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> If they slingshot around the sun, figure out their own way of doing it, they've got more than enough, you know, uh, knowledge since Spock's did it, uh, Spock time timeline, um, and when he did it for the whales. Why can't they just do that now and they get home? Yeah. Uh, jobs yeah. are good. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, there was two, there's two time travels in the original series, wasn't there? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or you know, if that's not going to work for so, for reasons. Mm. There's so many other time travel things that we've seen in Star Trek up to this point. We've got a Guardian of Forever that's out there, presumably still. Um, yeah. you know, they could use him. Uh, they, there's so many other things they could do. Why did they just say yes? Just say, look, well, are you going to destroy <laughs> us or are we just going to go home? What are we going to do? It's just... Uh, all right, they will follow you. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're all good in Starfleet. Um, yeah, very strange. Just don't, just don't say yes, Janeway. That's all you have to do. Just don't say yes. Um, but that That's does end. That does end. Too, too <laughs> That's true. She's just too nice. She's too good. Um, but that does end our episode as we end at timestamp forty-three minutes and twenty-nine seconds. Right, that's located our time. So the last three criterias uh, that I need you for, we've got uh, continuity, alterations and recommendations. So we're going to start with continuity. Based on this episode, based on the time travel that happened in this episode, do you feel that there is um, a change in the timeline from now on? When Voyager goes back to its own timeline, do you think that maybe Starfleet has changed in some way? Do you feel like there's a new timeline from this episode? Um, I don't, apart from the Doctor's emitter, I don't, I, I can't, off the top of my head, we're thinking anything strange and anything mentioned in any other series that's been, oh, this happened before Asia. Um, no, I don't, I don't think, as far as I know, it changed any sort of timeline, apart from the subject, um, when in a future episode, uh, you get like, future bulb implant um, other than that I think that's the only intervention that I can think of yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm the same yeah as far as giving sort of technology and changing the way Starfleet will probably work in the future imagining Voyager gets home and everything like that they now have a 29th century piece of kit to take apart or yeah. you know scan which will change all of technology after that so 
that would change an entire timeline there. Um, but you've also got the the loop, the time loop that we've been dealing with. The, the whole Braxton went back, caused the whole events, and started everything all over again. There are effectively two timelines. There's the timeline that Voyager has fixed, where we get Braxton at the end taking them home. And then we've got a one timeline where it wasn't fixed, and it ends up with everything being destroyed in the 29th century. So from this episode, I'd say there are two universes. There are two continuities going on. The one that we will eventually see for the rest of Voyager, and the one that did happen and still has to happen in order for the time loop to start where there's you know the death of everything in yeah. the 29th century so from this from continuity we are going to say there are two timelines working um but yeah absolutely that that hollow emitter does change everything it, it, it could completely alter how starfleet work um right alterations now alteration doesn't mean that we have to change the episode completely but if there was any part of this episode you would have liked to have seen changed or perhaps explored a bit more perhaps you wanted more detail about one particular scene or something is there anything in this episode you want to see altered um yeah i'd like to see her got with paris and again probably the the bunker scene yeah other than that, it was, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think she should have gone. I think she should have gone. They should have took her. They should have took her. Betty left her high and dry, uh, out of a job now, isn't she? Because uh, her place, <laughs> yeah. her boss is no longer there. Uh, so, I mean, I'm sure the police are going to ask questions about like the phaser fight and somebody somebody must have seen this van getting disintegrated and the lorry explosion and <laughs> so basically left a high and dry in a way so yeah a bit mean again um <laughs> yeah so yeah i think they should have took her and the bunker yeah. scene yeah no, yeah I, I agree with you yeah i think the bunker scene i think it would have been better to have the bunker scene be some sort of comedic thing where it's a guy hunting for crop circles happens upon a crashed shuttle thinks he's going to you know, have the best time of his life because now he's proved that aliens exist, only for it to turn out to be, you know, it was a human on board. He doesn't see Torres, he just sees it's a human, uh, you know, and just have some sort of comedy scene there. Um, I, I th Yeah, I just didn't really see the point in the bunker scene. I didn't need it. Even though it gives us our great comedy line from the Doctor, I didn't need that in the episode. It didn't yeah. seem to make any sense. It was all built up for that, but it just seemed to be a lot of work just to build that up. Yeah, it, if this episode were made today, I imagine that it wouldn't have just been a two-parter. I imagine it probably would have been, if not half a season or a whole season in its own right. You know, Voyager's stuck in the 20th century. What do they do? But yeah, you think, yeah. I mean, the way the shows are, like the card was a continuous, wasn't it? it wasn't a one episodic, and it, this was a continuous thing. Yes, easy. It could have easily have been a one season, a whole season for this. You know, time, in, time, timeline. In that season, then yeah, if there had been an episode where it was this bunkers guy and they maybe they'd got hold of a piece of technology, you know, from the shuttle that had been crashed and they were going to do something dangerous with it, so Voyager's got to stop them it, as like a subplot. I think that would have worked. So I think I mean, if I were, it might have been a bit too dark. Voyager, it's like well, you know, one of these being crazy cults who the star men come and the spaceship's gonna take us away <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. But that could have been a bit too dark. But it could have <laughs> been, you know, uh, something else. <laughs> worship the doctor <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah the doctor could have been yeah. like a cult leader absolutely yeah the man yeah. who cannot be hurt it's or killed <laughs> that's a great idea oh yeah, the, the, yeah the... <laughs> that's great when voyager gets home from the delta quadrant they find out that there was a cult a religion of the doctor uh, and it's a guy yeah. who could not be killed and, and rose again and everything and oh yeah that's actually fantastic Oh, I like that idea. That's a, that's a good idea. The cult of the doctor. Um, uh, so yes, yeah, so alterations. I would take that out myself. And like you say, Rain Robinson. I would have loved to have seen her on the show. Have Sarah Silverman offer that kind of twentieth century perspective. Uh, maybe the selfish perspective on you know all their future adventures. Uh, you know, the, being the the old way that humans used to think. Uh, up against you know, the, the Star Trek idealism, because this is before we have Seven of Nine. This is before we have her kind of questioning Janeway. You know, Rain Robinson could have been that character, could have been the person who says, "Well, actually, yeah. no, yeah. be a bit more selfish or do this." You know, this is this is the way to go. And it's Janeway then saying, "Well, no, that's not how we do it," and all this sort of thing. That I think that would have been a really good addition to the show. Um, so yeah, in alterations, I think we're on the same uh, hymn sheet. We're we're saying the same thing. Um, so recommendations. Now, with recommendations, there are three strands to this. To Star Trek fans, to non-Star Trek fans, and then overall to the franchise. How important you think this scene might be? So for the first thing, do you recommend this episode, the thing we've just watched, to Star Trek fans? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yes. Yeah, this isn't one um, of the bad episodes. <laughs> no, it's a good two-parter. And like I said, it's just basically the one, the one sort of five-minute scene, just out of place. Um, other than that, yeah, it's start to finish, you've probably got to give it a point. Let's say you gave it ten stars, you get nine and a half, nine. Club. It'd be hard to give it not the full, the full marks. But yeah, definitely for all Star Trek fans, you need to watch it. Um, especially again, just to, historically, to see the Doctor outside of sick pay for the first time. <laughs> very true very true exactly it won't make any more sense if he can suddenly leave the 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 sick bay so yeah that's yeah. reasoning um to non-star trek fans that, how that, much that, do you if, that, that episode really changes him for the rest of the for the rest of the series absolutely because his character grows even more you know he grows more and in some aspects he he's almost Sometimes, a lot of the time, he's almost a show runner sometimes in a lot of the episodes because a lot of them are based around him. There's a lot of them where he's singing and where he's in a museum. Uh, so many episodes based around the Doctor. That's true, yeah. It, they, there's whole other stories that they can now tell just because they've introduced just a small little thing that he's got his freedom. Yeah. Um, it is, yeah, that's very true. Um in terms of non-Star Trek fans, how good do you feel that this would be to sort of plonk in front of someone who's never seen Star Trek before and say, yep, this is all of Star Trek, this is all you need to know? Do you feel that this is, if there was an imaginary brainwashing kit to try and get people into Star Trek, <laughs> would this episode be in that? Um, oh, it's a hard one to say. I think it's Star Trek, yes, and out of space. Oh, but they're on Earth. Um, a fun episode if you want to know the characters. I would probably, 
uh, no, if it was, uh, if it was my first interaction with Star Trek, I'll watch this episode. This is great. No, that's one to watch for Star Trek because it's not in space. Um, you're seeing them being outsmarted by a, sort of an 80s human, so they're making them look a bit bit dumb in a way. So, yeah, no, I wouldn't say this is one to watch for non-Star Trek for me. Yeah. Yep. Um, I would go the same. It, it's a fun adventure, and I really enjoy it. I, and to Star Trek fans, yes, I think it is a very important thing. But to non-Star Trek fans, there are so many things you have to say, oh, well, this happens because the Doctor can't leave his sick bay, and he, he, he could never leave. So you have to kind of give yeah. a load of information before they start watching. You couldn't just fall into this episode and say, yep, that's, that's, that's Star Trek. That's everything you need to know. Um, and yeah, that bunker scene, again, it throws it. You know, Why is that in there? Was there a reason that they had to do that? Is that brought up again in another yeah. episode or anything like this? It, it feels odd and you feel like you have to explain too much. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with yeah, you on that. I, I yeah, wouldn't I think say. It, yeah, built up for the Doctor for that one scene or there was something there and other time constraints or budget like there's something else that's meant to be in like that, an army bunk, an army base, um, or could have been a cult. There's something that just, something, almost like a last minute filling gap. There's something I'm wrong about it, and I don't know, I can't, who knows what to say until you speak to the director, producer. <laughs> but the, yeah, there's something out of place about it. It didn't fit. Very true. Um, in terms, uh, so rec the last recommendation that we give is sort of how important to all of the Star Trek franchise. If you had to, if you were given the chance to sort of cut out some of the Star Trek so that you could just keep the choice bits, do you think that this is one of the really important things, things that have to stay in the Star Trek franchise, or could this be skipped over? Um, no, well... No, because I think I said it earlier on, all the series, uh, original series, had two, Next Generation had the two-part uh, time travel, uh, Deep Space Nine, I think, had a time travel. Um, I think Enterprise had a time travel. Um, so, yeah, this is Voyages. I've all had one, so it'd be unfair to say, yeah, don't skip this one out. This is a one time travel adventure. Everyone else has got one, so this is their one. You, you could easily do a box set of Star Trek time travels. There's your box set of Star Trek time travel. <laughs> you, you've, you've just pitched the idea of this podcast. This is it. This is exactly it. Everything for time travel all in one season. That's all I'm doing. Um, but yeah, that's it. Exactly. I, you have to have it because it is one of the Star Trek time travel episodes. You, you need to know what Starfleet were getting up to that. You know, it's not just going from star to star. It's sometimes time, timey wimey stuff, and it's it's the fun stuff like this. Uh, Enterprise did. Uh, we covered a couple of episodes uh, ago, 1944, but an alternate 1944 when the Nazis took over America, uh, but they had alien help and all. This. So it was an alternate timeline, but sort of slightly different. Uh, they had another one which was time travel as well, which uh, I think is also the 21st century, but that might be in our future. So there we go. Um, right. Thank you very much, John. Uh, that is it for our uh, review of this episode. So uh, all remains uh, for me is to set up our next episode. 
Like I say, it's the end of the 20th century. We are going to move into the 21st century for our next season. But as always, we have a one-week break. So there will be no episode next week, but tune in in two weeks' time for Season 2, Episode 1 of this podcast, where we go to Voyager Season 5, 1159, set in the year 2000. Goodbye, 20th century, and I'll see you in the next time stream. That's it. I've done the episode. It's all good. I can record that. And we are finished. Thank you very much, John. That is everything. Um, that was fantastic. Thank you so much. Excellent. Excellent. Did you see the, um, the trailer for that animated Star Trek show? Yes. Yeah. The Lower Decks episode. Yeah. I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. I think that could really work. Um, the the idea that you've got these these people who are trying really hard to be better than they are and they keep failing um i, I like that i like that a lot i mean i'm a big rick and morty fan so the guy who made the, the cartoon uh, i love rick and morty I, I love that sense of humor and all the sci-fi jokes that they get in that so the fact that there's now a star trek series made by the same man love it absolutely love it uh what what did you think what did you think yeah um yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go. Um, sometimes the uh, American humor American humor doesn't come over to us as as fun as it is to them. But uh, I think it might, might take a couple of episodes to get into. But yeah, I'm going to definitely give it a go. Yeah, I don't know what. Uh, if it, if it, I don't know if it's going to be a net. Is it a Netflix and Amazon? Do we know or? We don't know yet. Um, uh, America's going to get it, and I think can, Canada's got a, a release date for um, their channel. But we don't know whether it's Netflix, Amazon, or somebody else who's going to get it first. My th- yeah, my yeah. guess my guess would probably be Amazon, maybe because they want to try and go for a younger a younger audience, which I think Amazon are trying to do at the moment. Um, because at the moment Amazon's got got quite a lot of adult content, but they haven't really got that kid market sorted out or like the, the um, younger adult so I'd say if they wanted if they wanted that middle kind of ground the younger adult audience I think they probably want to put a bid in for that whereas Netflix has kind of got that catered for they've got Rick and Morty they've got that sort of thing so uh, I think Amazon's really going to put in a big bid for it in my in my guesswork as much as I know <laughs> okay yeah right well Thank you very much. I realise it's getting very late, so I will let you go uh, and let you get to bed. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much, John. Um, when are you when you back at yeah? When when are you back at work? When are you which day? I haven't been. I haven't found out yet. I know Debs is going in. Uh, I think it's Tuesday. It's but, uh, Tuesday yeah. So um, I suppose I don't know if they'll have volunteers because there might be too many members. You know, too many people on there. So I'll 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 see what Deb says and. Go from there. Go from that. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, uh, I'm on the I'm on the different team to her, but too many staff members around, do you really? That's true. Yeah, I think I don't know. They, they must be having some volunteers because we're going to need people just to to move all of the visitors and try and keep them in one direction. Because um, we're all going to be in galleries, so we won't be able to keep people on that one way path. So we're going to need you guys at some point. <laughs> yeah. But, we'll uh, find out. Yeah, we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. But um, <laughs> a love 
love to Debbie and thank you again, good sir. Yeah, not a problem, Flay. It was good. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Enjoyed it. I'll see you later. Yeah, so as. Bye bye. If you'd like to contact the show, there's now a Twitter account. Search Temporal Trek Podcast at rider underscore coattail or contact me directly at hitch underscore Daniel. I'm also on Instagram, Daniel underscore hitch underscore writer. There's also a website with all of the timestamps you need to follow along. Go to ridingcoattails.simplesite.com and click the Temporal Trek page link. The show is always going to be free, there's no Patreon at all. But if you wish to financially contribute to the show, feel free to find my books by searching me, Daniel Hitch, on Amazon. And we'll catch you in the next time stream. <laughs>